welcome to the Social Entrepreneurship Diaries. This podcast is produced by SELab, the MS International Research Network and Impact Hub Amsterdam. It is hosted by Andrea Barbosa and that will be me. recently read about a program aiming to prevent juvenile delinquency in the United States called Scared Straight. As the name suggests, it is built on the idea that you can scare kids out of crime by showing them how harsh prison life is. Youths are taken on tours of prison facilities or offered the experience of one full day in detention along with counseling by inmates. This program has been around since the 70s and it is quite popular all over the country. But listen to this. Recent studies have shown that scared straight youths actually have a higher chance of becoming involved in criminal behavior, and the Justice Department is discouraging the use of the program. Here's another unsettling story. You've probably heard of carbon offset programs. I have often ticked that little box while buying a plane ticket and paid an extra two euros or so in order to have trees planted somewhere to compensate for CO2. The idea of neutralizing carbon emissions instead of cutting them is very seducing for individuals, companies and governments. But again, we now know that these programs are often inefficient or even perverse. Trees are planted in developing countries, but then they die because no follow-up care is provided. And there are accounts of indigenous populations having been displaced to give way to plantations. We all know that good intentions are not enough. A sexy idea that makes a lot of buzz and attracts all kinds of support is no guarantee for real sustainable change. The question driving this episode is actually a very deep and crucial one. What are the consequences of our actions? How humble are we? How ambitious are we? And what is the true nature of that ambition? There are methodologies and tools that can help organizations to answer these questions. Social impact measurement is a rapidly growing field and the mission of this episode is to explore it. Is social impact really changing lives of people? Is social impact changing society, like a systemic change? Or is impact the little neighborhood center which gives lessons to uh, women who don't come outside? This is Marguerite Evenaar. She's one of the members of SE Lab here in the Netherlands, and within the lab she has developed workshops and services for organizations wishing to evaluate their social performance. I knew nothing about social impact measurement, and I thought a talk with her would be a good way to start. Social impact for me is more than just output or outcome. It's really up there with regards to systemic change. Um, it's also to do with time. Impact is a long-term effect, and outcome is a shorter-term result. 
These notions of output and outcome, as opposed to impact, which is defined as a profound long-term effect, they are part of one of the methodologies that Marguerite often works with, which is called the theory of change. This is an approach to planning and evaluation that emerged in the 90s at the Aspen Institute in Washington and was first used in the context of community initiatives. I learned that the theory of change was but one among more than 200 available methodologies for evaluating social impact. Some are meant for nonprofits, others for the corporate world, some are more quantitative, others not at all. The scene is broad and complex, but according to Marguerite, standardization is the trend and that will result in cheaper procedures and allow comparison between organizations. This conversation with Marguerite helped me to realize that social impact measurement gives organizations an opportunity for introspection. More than obtaining results on a piece of paper, it is the experience itself that matters. Make sure that you know why you are going to measure it. Then make sure then what you are going to measure. And I think then is how you do you measure it? And I think there's a distinction also between tools, which is the instrument. You put fixed indicators into an instrument and then we have an impact measurement. And you have the method, which is the framework and the mythology and the process steps for impact measurements. And that's also very important, not just putting your figures into a machine, but really do the process because What happens if you measure it that way, social impact? You know that you are really making a difference. You are building better organizations. You're staying true to your mission and you know how to improve it, which means that you can enlarge your impact. And also you can upscale, improve communication with stakeholders, partners and financiers. And you have accountability and improved efficiency. As for me, I'm convinced measuring impact can have positive impact on the organization itself. But accountability is not on everyone's list of priorities. Some organizations fear being confronted with their true performance and having their legitimacy questioned. Some organizations are not so willing to do social impact measurement because what if they've been doing the wrong thing with allocated resources from the community for about 10 years. So some people are even scared. If you go into this process, a method of impact measurement, social impact measurement, there will be a transparency and you have to open up your organization with regards to everything. But I think you have a commitment to your stakeholders, to your financiers, but also people who donate. donate. So you have a, yeah, you have a responsibility and a How can you make it accountable if you don't measure it? On last week's episode, I brought you the story of Raúl Contreras, the Spanish entrepreneur who started a holding of social enterprises and then moved on to create NITUA, a platform dedicated to changing the economic system by developing new inclusive management tools. 
Raoul has been putting a lot of effort into measurement methodologies and is actually leading the way in the field of intangibles, things like well-being or discrimination, those realities that are part of the human experience but don't let themselves be measured like one measures fever, for instance. Because of this work, he's back on our show. From Raoul's perspective, the way the system currently accounts for value is incomplete and perverse. In the cost structure of a good or service, he identifies elements that are not being taken into account and are stored elsewhere in space or time. These elements are also known as externalities. Here's how Raoul describes them. Empresas. Companies and public agencies which engage in processes of value creation, financial value I mean, should as good economic managers be counting all their costs in order to determine a final market price for their service or product. The problem is that there are costs which are not being included in their accounting. So these companies are simply not paying them. They don't recognize these costs and they calculate their prices and their benefits without taking them into account. Let me give you an example, um, a soft one to start with. Say I have a plant that makes paint products and I am pouring toxic waste into the local river. Perhaps I should have access to a certain kind of purifying plant and I don't. Perhaps I'm even complying with the law, but the fact is that my spill is not clean. In the end, the municipality will have to clean the river and that cost will be paid by the citizens. Going up one level, thousands of millions have been given to banks in Spain in order to cover their bad management. And those costs will be paid by our children. We will pay, our grandchildren will pay, because the level of public debt that has been put on our backs is huge. This happened in Greece and in South America as well. And we can even think of more extreme examples. When a factory collapses in Bangladesh, killing more than a thousand people, the social costs become visible all of a sudden and we know who paid for them, those who died. The ongoing studies about the textile industry, which systematically point the finger at four Spanish textile companies, are very clear about child labor and overall work standards that are very far from what would be allowed in any developed country. So, here's an account of different kinds of negative externalities. Following this same logic, one can also speak of positive externalities, such as the reduction in CO2 emissions brought about by a new wind farm, for instance. Raoul's aim is to internalize these costs and benefits, promoting what he calls comprehensive management. But for the time being, this is just a dream. Measuring social and environmental value in some kind of universal unit, ideally in currency, like financial value, is a challenge that has been accepted by many but won by none so far. There's a methodology called social return on investment that gets pretty close though. Raúl Contreras has been working with it. We chose this methodology because, unlike others, it allows us to perform a cost-benefit analysis in a microeconomic context. In Spain, more than 90% of companies are SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises. In the public administration, most municipalities are small. Still, 
This methodology can be used by big municipalities and regions and up to the level of the state. But our main concern was to choose a methodology that could be used in everyday micromanagement in order to deliver a comprehensive kind of management with all three values, financial, social and environmental. The methodology even applies some of the same tools of financial accounting, return on investment and social return on investment. There's obviously no coincidence here. The returns of the different inputs that are introduced into the economic process are treated in the same way. This will allow us, as the measuring procedures evolve, to merge together the financial, social and environmental values and have as a single final result economic value. It is clear that Raúl's ambition is no small one. He wants to have all economic actors, private, public and third sector, planning and reasoning in the very same way. When social value exits the realm of altruism and goodwill and starts playing in the arena of dollars and euros, then these actors, he believes, will have a lot more in common and a lot more reasons to collaborate. Now, perhaps you are asking yourself what these impact evaluations and comprehensive accounting sheets look like in practice. What exactly gets measured and how? I am still struggling with this, but I'll do my best to share what I did understand. It depends on the methodology, of course. In the case of the theory of change mentioned above, impact is seen as the result of a combination of outcomes. In order to judge if these outcomes are being achieved, concrete indicators must be identified. A desired outcome might be, say, awareness of different contraceptive methods. An indicator for this might be a positive score on a questionnaire about contraception. And so the evaluation would go. Social return on investment, on the other hand, works with outcomes and indicators as well, but adds a layer of costs and prices in order to make social impact visible in monetary value. Let's say the state is subsidizing a WISE, a work integration social enterprise. How do you calculate the social return on this investment? First, you have the avoided cost of having to pay unemployment benefits. Then you have the taxes paid to the state by the company and the employees. You add these and you subtract the amount of the subsidy and there you have your social return on investment. We already know that Raul Contreras is working with this methodology, but for him, costs and prices are not enough to account for value. Most methodologies are working not with value, but with costs. Those costs are for the most part tangible budgetary costs and they almost always concern the state. For instance, I'm thinking of someone from an American state that was telling us about a program to prevent criminal recidivism. Since the program is very cheap and each prisoner costs about $50,000 per year, the returns were amazing. Every person that did not return to prison meant $50,000 in savings for the state. Is this social value? No. These are avoided costs. They are part of the measuring process and in many cases they are considered enough. If we want to capture value, we need to measure intangibles. 
This has been our main concern for the past three years, because we couldn't find any methods for evaluating, calculating and monetizing intangibles. So we started the process of research and experimentation and we put together a pilot study that applies to the field of employability. We are talking about a person's autonomy, self-esteem, quality of life, those elements that, in the context of employment, would allow us to assess someone's employability. How do you measure employability? You follow the evolution of those intangibles. Only when we introduce intangibles can we really speak of value. I have to agree here. The value of freedom cannot be $50,000 in the United States and 18,000 euros in Spain, which is the average yearly cost of a prisoner there. Costs are no substitute for value. But that's exactly why I can't get my head around the idea of monetizing intangibles. I find it fascinating but mind-boggling. I'll get back to this in a moment. Methodologies aside, the fact is that social impact measurement has been growing fast. Interestingly, a lot of that action is happening in the classic private sector. Companies are now being screened on the basis of their social and environmental performance by a portion of the investment industry. And we see public tenders establishing an obligation of social and environmental impact for participants. Here in Holland, many municipalities request 5% social return from companies involved in public procurement. A classic move from big construction firms is spending those 5% of the budget on work integration, hiring difficult workers. But they may also choose to outsource their canteen to a social firm, for example. In any case, they must be able to account for those results, hence impact measurement. Let me now introduce you to an organization in which impact measurement is part of everyday life. Environments like this are rare, so I felt like I had hit the jackpot once the voice on the other end of the line told me that impact measurement was fully integrated in daily operations. That voice, you shall soon hear it, belongs to Maxime Pekip, who is financial manager at the Crésus Network in France. Jesus is an NGO born in 1992 in Strasbourg, a major French city near the German border. A local judge noticed a sharp rise in over-indebtedness procedures landing on its court. More and more people were facing critical debt situations and he decided to do something about it, together with an accountant. They started coaching these people so that they could get their finances back in order. It turns out that most of those personal bankruptcies were connected to the fall of the Berlin Wall and its effect on the jobs of the cross-border workers living in the region. The project eventually grew and spread all over France. A network of about 600 volunteers working for 24 associations now offers financial counseling to individuals and small companies. In the particular data management system that Crésus has developed, impact measurement is almost a sort of byproduct of the primary operation, which is designing a trajectory that gets someone from the brink of financial collapse to a financially sane situation. <laughs> 
Here's how Maxime Pekip describes this process. We do a first diagnostic where we collect more than 200 key information to combine them to 43 indicators. These indicators allows us to give the proper coaching uh, which will lead to uh, a full reestablishment. Okay? For instance, the first appointment is a, has a duration of about one hour. Uh, it's about 15 minutes of uh, data collection in order to have a full knowledge of the situation of the beneficiaries. We uh, know if he has uh, some disabilities, what are his uh, everyday habits, uh, what are uh, his uh, family structures, if he's got some collaterals like uh, people that are ill in his families or uh, around him, what kind of jobs he has, if he has a job, if there is a risk for him to losing it. It's also about projection and knowing, for instance, when he is going to retire. We do this first diagnostic and we do this diagnostic about six or seven times all during the coaching of this person. And the benchmark of this uh, diagnostics allows us to uh, measure our impact. But the main uh, reason of this diagnostic is to find a solution to his problem. So we managed to combine operational data collection to practical evaluation. Because asking questions who doesn't lead to a solution is not very uh, interesting for the people who work with us and for the beneficiaries. Maxime rejects the idea of measuring for the sake of measuring. Filling cases is a waste of time for everyone if it doesn't help to find a solution. But finding a solution implies monitoring and correcting each individual trajectory and the trajectory of the organization itself. In this process of experimentation, I was surprised to learn that Cresus is quite comfortable working with intangibles, albeit not striving to convert them into currency like Raul Contreras. Concepts like happiness and well-being are woven into Cresus 43 indicator dashboard. If you want to quantify something that is abstract, it's not about finding an indicators. It's about finding a combination of many indicators who allow to uh, determine a more complex data. For instance, if you know you, wellness and happiness is uh, difficult to quantify. That's quite difficult. But uh, there are clues and indicators that can be combined that can give indication about the wellness and happiness of someone. To know if someone is happy or is well, you've got to know uh, first where he is. So you've got to find if he's got enough to eat, if he's got enough to have leisures, uh, if he's got enough to face everyday expenses. As you know, when someone is over-indebted, he's got a loss of uh, budget. I mean, when he's detected, usually he's got minus 143 euros to face one month's expenses. And that uh, deprivation leads to some other problematics like uh, having a house, having a work, having a wife, being able to go to the doctors and everything. So what you got to look for after that is uh, how much expenses it leads more. Uh, so we've got to look for these expenses and quantify them. 
and we measure our impacts on the variation of these expenses, we combine them to give an indicator. According to Maxime, systematic evaluation is key to the identity and sustainability of Crésus. Public funding accounts for only 10% of their budget. They are mainly funded by their stakeholders and these are banks for the most part. Contrary to popular belief, banks have a lot to lose in cases of bad credit. For banks to be able to identify risk situations and contribute to their prevention alongside Cresus, those evaluation files brimming with data are precious. But the role of impact measurement is even broader. Maxim says that if beneficiaries are given proof that the coaching is effective, they are much more willing to follow Cresus' advice. And perhaps most important of all, for Cresus to maintain its huge network of high-skilled volunteers, impact measurement is crucial. These volunteers get their reward from knowing that what they do is useful, that they are really making a difference in someone's life. Maxim told me that 60% of Cresus volunteers are bankers. He sees this as the result of a vocational crisis, which is a syndrome of our times. We want to find meaning and challenge in our jobs, but most banking jobs are the opposite of that. We've got a deep crisis in France and all over Europe, which is a vocational crisis. Lots of people go to work who know some things that are highly qualified, and they don't know if uh, what they do is useful. And that leads to burnouts, that leads to unhappiness in work, unhappiness in their lives. And uh, knowing something that you can't use is uh, much more destructive than ignorance. I'm a good example. I'm one of the volunteers of Crisis. I'm in a special situation which allows me to do so. I was into private banking before. And I can tell you that it's much more boring than taking care of over-indebted. Over-indebted is much more complex and much more exciting than taking care of important assets. <laughs> This episode, I notice, is really building a strong case for social impact measurement. And so, for the sake of balance, I have to bring in some critique. This critique is not so much about impact measurement itself, but about some of the conceptual and methodological choices it rests on. Authors Wayne Norman and Chris McDonald would not approve of Raúl Contreras' quest for quantifying intangibles. In their article, Getting to the Bottom of the Triple Bottom Line, they make a compelling argument about the absurdity of trying to merge financial, social and environmental value in one single accounting system. Such a scenario would be akin to the answer given by the computer in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to the great question of life, the universe and everything. We know that an answer like 42 doesn't make sense. Just like it doesn't make sense to weigh social values and trade them off along some universal scale. This comparison resonates with me because, as I said before, I find the idea of monetizing intangibles really hard to grasp. But I absolutely do not dismiss it. If we are forced to put a price tag on a human life, 
however absurd that might sound, perhaps we'll become aware of how low that value actually is, as John Allen Paulos puts it in his book Innumeracy. There's another piece of criticism that I found very interesting. It concerns randomized control trials, which are yet another approach to measuring social impact. Randomized control trials are about finding out if a certain type of intervention is efficient or not. Esther Duflo of the MIT's Poverty Lab is one of the economists leading the way in this field. She looks for answers to practical questions like what is the best way to ensure that people use bed nets to prevent malaria? She designs an experiment testing different answers against a control group in which no intervention is done. The problem with this is that the very measuring process can have effects on the populations being tested. This is a known effect in social science. Nobel laureate James Heckman is one of the voices that question the findings of this kind of experiments. He points, for instance, to the fact that people in control groups are not disconnected from the rest of society and may change their course of action based on what they know is happening to another group. So here are my closing lines. Measuring social impact seems to be a great antidote against both indifference and unquestioned good intentions. But how you go about it is important. It is supposed to help you better see, not mask, the reality you're trying to change. If you want to continue exploring the subject of impact measurement, I invite you to visit our website sediaries.org where you can find all the references concerning this episode and more. The next episode of the Social Entrepreneurship Diaries will be out on May 4th. Many thanks to Marguerite Evenar, Raul Contreras and Maxime Pekip. Credit for the music we use on our podcast goes to Poddington Bear, Alex Fitch and Adam Seltzer. Thank you for listening.